Hello, and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you no matter where you are in your journey towards Jesus. If you have any questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. Uh, well, my name is Chuck. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to be with you this morning. I'm going to scoot this over so I don't feel off balance. Um, Caleb already mentioned uh, the picnic, saw some of those pictures. That was a really good time. I just want to extend my thanks to you. Um, that doesn't happen. A part, you don't pull off a party for 500 people uh, without many people being um, a part of uh, set up and tear down and just using what God has given them uh, to help serve uh, the body as a whole. Um, I know there were a few that showed up to help set up who couldn't even be there for the picnic, um, but they came anyways, and I'm grateful uh, for all your hard work. We had fun together. I think my favorite part was that, you know, we didn't start technically until 5 o'clock, but at 4.30, I actually thought I was, like, behind because for, I mean, I'm looking around, I was like, we're, we're going to start service here in a minute. I got some stuff to do because and, and, there were so many people there, and I looked at my watch, and it was only 4.30. Y'all came half an hour early just to be together, so thank you for that. That was fun. Um, so I shared, uh, I shared with you last week that I, I struggled to begin writing uh, my sermon from last week. I was overwhelmed um, at attempting to do justice to um, the truth of the gospel. How do you, how do, you do that in a, in a morning? How do you share that? Um, so it was, it was hard for me to begin writing. But let me tell you uh, that this week it was kind of hard to shut it off. Um, so just a fair warning this morning as we move into grace. I might need it because I'm going to push a little long. We'll get through it. Um, I was texting with my best friend uh, this weekend. I told him that I wasn't, I wasn't finished writing uh, my sermon yet. And he responded with this. He said, follow Jesus, deny yourself, love others above everything else. Boom, sermon written. So... He's not wrong, but uh, I informed him as Pastor Dan informs uh, me and has also informed you that sermonate, sermonettes make Christianettes, so I'm going to not do that today. Uh, I will borrow a phrase from Tom Harmon as we get started, though, and say you need to listen fast. You need to listen fast today because there is a lot that Scripture wants uh, to say to us. Last week, last week we started a series called Distinctive People. Distinctive People, we're looking at six biblical values that shape Christ-centered community. These are the six values of Summit Church. The gospel, grace, growth, groups, gifts, and generosity. These values, uh, they haven't been identified simply because of our good ideas. Uh, These are the values of God. They are foundations found in the bedrock of God's Word. And so we want to carefully examine these principles, these values. We want to ask God to move them from our heads, these religious ideas or concepts, into spiritual truth in our hearts. And we're doing this because our values determine our actions. The things that we hold firmly to are then walked out in our lives, right? And so the desire is that as we study these values and as we immerse ourselves in God's Word, and surely we'll do that this morning, our our prayers that the Holy Spirit would continue to shape us into distinctive people, people who individually And then corporately, together, we're becoming more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're set apart. We're called to be distinct. We're called to be holy as our Father is holy. So as a church, we're looking at these values. As a church, do these values permeate our culture here? Are we a people? Are you a person who experiences ownership of the gospel? 
Are you a person who, who not just receives God's grace, but extends it? Are you a person who values growth in their faith and intimacy with God? Are you building authentic community through groups? Are you using your gifts and your generosity to advance God's kingdom? This isn't about a man-made setup, some organization. This is God's church. These are the values that he has for us to live out. They set us apart. So today, we're talking about grace. We're talking about grace. For distinctive people receive and they extend God's grace. Let's pray again and ask God for his blessing this morning as we open his word. God, we give you all the glory and the praise this morning. We thank you for the good news of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. God, we ask that you would speak to us through your word this morning, that we would be instructed, that we would be encouraged, uh, that, we would be, uh, that you would, by the power of your Spirit, move us forward in this, this value of grace, that we would learn how to receive it, to live in it, and to extend it to others. God, speak to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to begin this morning in our study of grace in Romans chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, we we'll ask you to open those up, turn them on. In your, on your phones, uh, turn to Romans chapter 5. Again, that's in the second half of your Bible. It's the first passage that we're going to consider today, Romans uh, chapter 5. Now, we don't always do this, but I do find it appropriate uh, time to time as we acknowledge the authority of God's Word, uh, that we would stand together as we hear God's Word spoken. So I'm going to invite you to stand if you can as we read. We're going to be starting in verse 15 of Romans chapter 5. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more Will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So the gift, this gift of grace, the gift is not like the trespass. Before we dig into that more, I want to inform you, maybe fill in some context of what is happening the few verses just prior to this. Paul is writing to the Christians in Rome. He's teaching them, again, about the peace that they have with God now that they have been justified by the blood of Jesus. They are no longer enemies of God because Christ has purchased their salvation on the cross, satisfying God's wrath so that now they now have peace with God, meaning there is no conflict between God and those who believe in Jesus. This is the gospel, remember? From last week, the gospel, it is the proclamation that the finished work of Christ on the cross has covered your sin, satisfying the due wrath of a holy God, and has procured new life everlasting for all those who believe in the name of Jesus. We're going to focus in a, a bit on this new life everlasting this morning, but that's the gospel. And so Paul has just done this in verses 1 through 14, right before we read. He's established the gospel that although sin was a problem, it was a deep problem. It has now been taken care of. It has been covered. We have been reconciled, made right with God. But now he begins to turn the page, contrasting past condemnation of sin with the new experience of grace in the life of a believer. Although death reigned, now life reigns. Obviously, a prime example of God's grace 
is the cross. And in verses 15 and 16, you see this, that Adam's sin and his subsequent judgment followed the rest of us, meaning we have been born with a sinful nature. Mankind has fallen. It has has followed the rest of us. And that brought condemnation for the wages of sin is death. But God's gift of grace in Jesus Christ followed all of that, covered our sin to bring then justification. And this comes to a point in verse 17. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So I want to capitalize on what is being communicated here by drawing your attention to the phrase, how much more? How much more? Again, Paul is drawing a contrast in our lives before Christ and after Christ. And this is something that I hinted at last week. Before Christ, death reigned, it says, because of sin. Condemnation was full. It was total. But now, because of Christ, how much more does the newness of life reign? Even more so through the righteousness of Christ that we receive in the gospel. It's the same wording that he uses earlier in the chapter. How much more? Paul is not asking a question. He's providing emphasis to the grace that we receive in the reigning in life that we experience now because of Christ. In effect, what he's saying is that through your justification, Jesus provides on the cross, there are two things happening. One, you have received mercy. You have received mercy, meaning your sin has been forgiven. You have been pardoned. You've been given a pass. Your sin is no longer held against you. Hallelujah. But more than that, how much more, he says, you have received grace. Grace is more than just a pardon. The very righteousness of Christ now shows up in your life. Again, on no merit of your own, grace is a gift. In other words, the gospel is more than just a cancellation of debt. This is not a strictly, strictly just a goods and services transaction. There's a debt, it's been paid, so the debtor now lo- no longer owes anything. Now that in and of itself, if the gospel was simply that, it would be good news, amen? That if that was all there was to the gospel, that a holy God has pardoned our sin, we would still sing a thousand hallelujahs. But you must understand, church, that you have received more than mercy, you have received grace. You are not someone who is simply no longer just a problem to Jesus. That's mercy. You are beloved by Jesus. You are welcomed by Jesus. You are pursued by Jesus. Out of his great love, he goes to great lengths to pour his grace out on you. Now, I don't want you to completely detach the idea of mercy and grace, for surely they are connected. God extends His mercy to us through His grace. But more than just mercy, we've been been given grace. I want to paint a picture for you that maybe helps um, explain this maybe a little bit more. Rather, let me show you a brief video. So this is something that uh, I think helps us understand. Can you play that video for us this morning? Oh, we need sound. We definitely need sound. Can we try it one more time? Okay. And just there's the picture. I think we just, let's just like screenshot it. Okay. Um, Yes, that is our youth pastor, Bradley Grenier, going, and the video, as he and a few others uh, passed by me, pulled over on the side of the road by a very nice Georgia State trooper. Um, 
being vulnerable with you today. Uh, a few months ago, many of our ministry staff, we attended a conference together to grow in our leadership. It was a good time. We grew a lot. Uh, the conference was in Georgia, and we had enough staff there that we had two rental cars. And the one I just so happened to receive was a shiny black Audi A4. Um, let's just say I was, I was driving fast. Fast enough, okay? Fast enough to receive one of those ticket things. Um, I kid you not, the week before we left, I was telling George Fletcher about what we were going to do, and he looked right at me, and he said, don't drive too fast in Georgia, they'll get you. I kid you not, he told me that the week before. And so here I am now, pulled over on the side of the road, the other staff car drives past, and I have my, so I have my license, my paper's ready, you know the drill. I put my hands on the wheel, he rolls through his normal questions, he goes back to the car, and you know the feeling. You've been pulled over before, many of you. Uh, you're sick to your stomach, right? You're, you know you're guilty. You're just awaiting the verdict. I have transgressed the law. More than that, I'm from out of state, so this is not going to go well for me, and I'm kicking myself for not paying better attention. Not to the speed limit, of course, but just to where the police officer is. Um, so he walks back up. The, the trooper walks back up. He hands me my stuff. He tells me to slow down and to be on my way. Right? What are you, hooing. you guys wanted me to get a ticket, didn't you? <laughs> I was in shock. So I just received mercy. I received mercy. I didn't receive what I actually deserved. And there was relief that came. You know, knowing although I broke the law of the land, I had received a pardon by a representative of Georgia. So it was official. I was not in debt to the great state of Georgia. That, this is mercy. Now, hypothetically, let's say Mr. Trooper comes back. He hands me my citation. He says, I can't not give you a ticket for you are guilty of breaking the law. That would be justifiable. But then he reaches in and stamps my citation with a paid mark and says, I took care of it. Actually, I've already paid for this ticket out of my own pocket. And more than that, I want to give you a hug and give you a personal escort to your event. And after that, I want to buy you lunch and then offer protection for your group as you go about your business in our city. That's grace. That's grace. It's maybe a crude picture of one, but you get the idea. That's grace. So not only have I received mercy, but I've received grace. You need to know this, that grace is the essence of the gospel. Grace is the essence of the gospel. Earlier in Romans 5, verses 1 and 2, Jaden read this this morning, Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So the work of Jesus Christ on the cross has justified us, giving us peace with God, and it is through that work and our belief in it that we now also stand in grace, meaning our new fixed position of existing is within the sphere of God's grace, experiencing His favor and His kindness. What a beautiful and secure place to, believe, to, to be as believers. Which is why he says we rejoice, we boast in the hope of the glory of God, Jesus Christ and His gospel. Why wouldn't we rejoice in that? But what is God's grace exactly? It is worth rejoicing that we have peace with God. It's comforting to know that we stand in His grace. But how, how might we define that grace? What does it look like in our lives? How do we, what are we to do with it? 
And while this is difficult, I want to propose a definition of God's grace to you this morning. How do you define something that is of God? But this is it. God's grace is His unmerited favor and kindness expressed to us in the righteousness of Christ, exemplified on the cross and formed in us by the Holy Spirit to empower us to live out our faith. Now, I was told that that was a bit wordy this week by a few of my fellow staff members. So maybe let's simplify it. Grace is undeserved favor and provision shown to us in Christ and extended to others through us. So let me draw the line for you, connecting this back to last week, okay? Our belief in the gospel, our continual belief in the gospel, is where we are provided eternal encouragement, good hope that becomes our strength for the life that we're to live. This is, that is our experience of God's grace, that out of His favor and His kindness, He would provide us those things. And then in turn, we share them with others. Remember, we're called to be distinctive people, set apart. Distinctive people receive and they extend God's grace. And those are the two things I want to focus on this morning. What it looks like to receive the gift of grace, and then what it looks like to extend it to others. So first, what does it look like to receive and experience God's favor, His provision, that grace that impacts our lives so greatly? I think it's important for us to understand as we, as we dive into this idea of how we receive God's grace, it is important for us to stand, understand that ultimately our experience of grace comes through our union with Christ. It comes through our union with Christ. Remember our definition? God, God's grace is undeserved favor and provision shown to us, two words, in Christ. This is a key doctrine that you need to understand. It is those who have believed in Jesus, His life, His death, and His resurrection, are now no longer of themselves. They are now in Christ. They are unified with Him. We are hidden in Christ. Galatians 2.20 says this. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So in our faith, our belief, we are now unified with him. We are one with him, both in his death to sin and the life he lives to God. It is his life, his righteousness, that is now imparted to us because it is Christ in us. We are in Christ. That comes as a free gift of God's grace. So to understand how we experience and receive God's grace, we must understand that, it is, that all of this comes within our union with Christ. I want to share with you three ways that we experience grace within our union with Christ. The first gift of grace in our union with Christ is our identity. It's our identity. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Well, what is this new creation, this new identity? 1 John 3, 1 tells us, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Your new identity, if you have placed your trust in Jesus, is being a child of God. A child of God! 
One of the most easily, I think, understood portraits or maybe illustrations of God that we see in Scripture is one of a father. Regardless of the experience that we have had with our earthly fathers or for, for men, our own experience of fatherhood, the ideal of who a father is and what he does is something that we can relate to. For a father is one who loves and provides fully for his children. So God calls himself a father, not just any father, however, but a perfect one. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So our Father in heaven is perfect, meaning that His love for us is perfect. It is a holy and incomprehensible love. How great is this love? So great that the Father's love is for you that He gave His only Son that you might become one with Him. While the, while the cross is a picture of payment... It is also the masterpiece of God's love. But how does being a child of God, how does this identity affect our present reality? What does this look like in our experience of grace? Well, how does a loving father extend grace to his children? He comforts them. A loving father comforts his children. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. A means of grace, meaning God's favor and kindness, is the comfort that we receive in times of trouble from a loving Father. I don't want to get too far ahead on this, but look what happens after we receive this grace of comfort. It says, for we can comfort those now in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. We extend what we receive, church. The obvious context here within our values series is our brothers and sisters in Christ. Did you make that connection when we understand that because of our unity with Christ, we've been given a new identity? If I'm a child of God and you're a child of God, that makes us brother and sister. Or brother and brother. Or sister and sister. We've received a spiritual family. There are massive implications to this new identity that we have. More on that later. But for now, as a child of God, a means of grace is the comfort we receive from our loving Father in times of trouble. How else does a loving Father extend grace to His children? He provides for them. He provides for them. A loving Father provides for His children. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus asks, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? James, the brother of Christ, also speaks to this reality as God, of God as our Father providing what we need. James 1.16, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all He created. God knows what we need. And as His children, born to Him through the word of truth, the gospel that we believe, He provides then what we need. Hebrews 4.16 reminds us to approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Get this through your head right now. 
everything that you have and experience that allows you to exist and function, the little joys of life, the memories of vacation, the food on your table, the consequences you receive for sin, sustaining peace through difficulty, the people that bring smiles to your face, all of it is provision from God. All of it. It may look different for each of us, but as children, we have a loving Father who provides for us. That is a means of His grace, the provision we receive from a loving Father. Now, there are so many other things that we could dive into when it comes to the grace we experience and our identity as children of God, but I only have so much time. So for now, that will do. So it's in our union with Christ that the first gift of grace we receive is our identity as His children, where we are loved, we are comforted, we are provided for and helped in our time of need. The second gift of grace in our union with Christ is our new purpose. We have a new purpose given to us by grace. So if we claim Christ, follow with me here, if we claim Christ by faith and identify with Him, if we are unified with Christ, then we also must be unified and identify with His purpose of kingdom living. We can't not identify and unify with that. His purpose of kingdom living, all that He taught, all that He stood for, and all that He modeled for us, we are unified in that. His purpose is now ours, which can be summed up in this way, love God and love others. That's simple enough, right? Nope. That's hard. But take heart. Remember back to Galatians 2.20? It is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. So while in our flesh, yes, this is difficult to carry out, to love God and to love others well, because I'm selfish. But, according to Scripture, our desires are no longer ours. Our values are no longer ours. This gift of grace is a completely new life. It's newness of life that is no longer my own, but it is Jesus Christ, the very living Word of God and all that He embodies within me now. Because of our union with Christ, we have a new purpose, a new way to live. Now, don't be confused. This is not simply a to-do list or a new strategy or good advice for better living. I mentioned this last week, that the gospel is good news. It is not good advice. Paul's saying in Galatians that our unity with Christ, the good news of the gospel, that comes because of the good news of the gospel, our unity with Christ is what animates our new life. It's not our own betterment plan. In his book, Do You Believe?, Paul Tripp, he says it this way, the gospel is not a system of self-reformation. The gospel is about union that reduces and transforms us. There is something more than a desire for change and a commitment to self-discipline that changes us. What changes us is the power of the risen Lord Jesus Christ that now resides inside of us. Because we are united to Him, we are empowered by Him to do what we could never have done before. And this really helps us move into our third gift of grace. While we've received a new identity and we've received a new purpose that is no longer our own, how do we carry out the new purpose that is no longer our own? With new power. We've been given new power. That is a grace that is grace that comes to us by God. So God's grace gives us a new identity. God's grace gives us a new purpose. And now God's grace gives us power to live out that new identity and purpose. All that he's called us to do. 
And can we stop here long enough again to recognize that all that we've talked about the last two weeks, understanding the value of the gospel and grace, all of it for two weeks, not one sliver, not one speck, not one iota has had anything to do with what you've done or what you do. It has everything to do with what God has done and now who you are because of it. I want to stay on this for just another minute because a good friend reminded me this week that the most glorious truth about God's grace, that it is freely given to those who don't deserve it, is perhaps also one of the biggest obstacles to receiving grace. Too easily we can get hung up on the fact that we don't deserve God's grace. And while this is true, our enemy also knows that this is true. And it becomes a way that he appeals to our flesh. And so he throws shame our way. God could never love you. How could you stand before God and pretend that you're okay? And two things can end up happening, I believe, when we get stuck in this unworthiness. We can, in fact, in effect, punish ourselves withholding our hearts from receiving grace, keeping ourselves from the very hand that desires to heal us. Or we can shift back into a, into a works righteousness. Knowing we don't deserve God's grace, we try to earn it anyways. We try to earn God's approval, being even better, trying even harder. I can do it, God. I promise this time I'll work hard. And here we are back to self-help. What's the problem? Me. What's your solution? I am. I... You don't deserve God's grace. You can't earn God's grace. It is freely given to you. And understanding that truth is the key to finding freedom. Coming to a place of complete surrender, knowing that His love and His grace is the only thing that releases you from your chains and welcomes you as you are welcomes you as you are. Your unity with Christ has everything to do with what God has done and now who you are because of it. Now, this gift of grace that is power. We're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit. This is remarkable now. Back to Galatians 2, the life I live in the flesh meaning the life we live, you and I right now walking around on our earthly bodies, the life I live in the flesh, Paul says, I live by faith in the Son of God. There's that unity again. But what does this mean? The life I live, I live in the Son. It means that the power of the resurrection who is risen, the Son who is risen, the power of the resurrection is now the power that animates our living. That is the new power that we have by God's grace. In other words, God gifts you His grace by dwelling inside of you so that the life he calls you to live is actually now accomplishable. Thank you, Ricky. Now, while we could spend a whole series, and we have before, considering what it looks like to live by the power of the Spirit, that holy purpose he's given to you now carried out because of his Holy Spirit, residing in your hearts, we could spend an entire series doing that, but it will be sufficient for us today to mention just two primary ways that the power of the Spirit is an agent of grace in our lives. The most obvious would be producing spiritual fruit. Producing spiritual fruit. We see that in Galatians 5, that list, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of them are evidences of God's grace in our lives. 
through the power of the, His Spirit. I cannot accomplish these on my own. Obviously, I have a part to play here. In my obedience, I surrender to His will and believe in His power, and He begins that work in me. I'll openly admit to you that these, these, the spiritual fruit in that list, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, I need the Spirit's help the most in the area of parenting, my patience, and self-control. So the Spirit produces spiritual fruit. Another way that the, the, the power of the Spirit is an agent of grace in our lives is by guiding us in truth. He guides us in truth. Jesus tells us in John 16, 13, that when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. Jesus said His Spirit would remind us of all that He taught and all that He instructed, and the Spirit will guide us in our kingdom living. That is what the Holy Spirit does inside of us, the power that we have because of our unity with Christ. Both of those things, producing spiritual fruit and guiding us in truth, is part of our sanctification. The Holy Spirit works from within us in our continual belief in the gospel, in our surrender to that belief. He works in us continually to sanctify us, meaning to set us apart, growing us in holiness, holiness, making us distinct. God's grace is revealed to us through the power of the Spirit working in our lives. All right, are you with me so far? There's a lot coming at you today. Let's, let's, let's recap what it looks like to receive God's grace, okay? Starting from the very beginning, a very good place to start. The gospel is the proclamation that the finished work of Christ on the cross has covered your sin, satisfying the due wrath of a holy God, and has procured new life everlasting for those who believe, for all those who believe in the name of Jesus. And it is through then our repentance of sin and belief in Jesus that we now have been unified with him in his death to sin, but also his life of righteousness. And that life of righteousness becomes ours because the life we live is no longer our own life back here, but it is now Christ in us. And it is within that life of righteousness, Christ in us, that we receive God's grace, his undeserved favor and provision. We primarily experience that grace through our new identity as his children, our new purpose of kingdom living, and the power through which we can live it out. Jesus' very spirit within us. Are you with me? Now, all of this has been our vertical experience of grace. I want to shift now towards our horizontal experience of grace. Chuck, how long are you going to preach? I know. It was hard to squeeze this into two weeks. It's hard to squeeze this one into one week. Poor Pastor Dan, he has to uh, cover the next four values in just two weeks. So, Buckle up for that one, church. In reality, these two values, I believe, the gospel and grace, they speak volumes to our, towards how we understand and live out the next four. But I'm going to make a hard turn now towards extending grace. We've received it. What does it look like to then turn and extend that towards others? I want to first start in Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 4. Can you turn there quickly? It'll also be on the screen. Philippians 2, 1 through 4. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being unified with Christ, hey, I have unity with Christ. If you have any comfort from His love, hey, I've been comforted from His love. If you have any common sharing in the Spirit, hey, I share in the Spirit. If any tenderness and compassion, if you have any of these things, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in Spirit and of one mind. 
He's speaking to a group of people. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And verse 5 then says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. It's hard to stop reading there because then he goes into what that mindset is. It's, It's this attitude of humility that he made himself low, although he was God. Another passage that captures the same essence is Romans 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ that together you may be one with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 7 says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. That two-letter word there, as, that's an important qualifier for us this morning. If you walk away with nothing else when it comes to how we extend grace to others this morning, this is the heart of it, that you are to welcome others as Christ has welcomed you. So what has Christ done? How has Christ welcomed you? Now go do that. Has Christ only shown you mercy Does Christ simply tolerate you? Does Christ just acknowledge your presence? By no means. Grace is God pursuing you with favor and kindness, providing for you, covering your weakness and your sin, standing in the gap for you, in humility caring for you above himself. That is how Christ has welcomed you, and that is how you are to be the welcome of Christ to those around you. You have been given grace because you need it, so go give grace to those who need it. I'm not just talking about forgiveness for someone who has hurt you. Forgive as you have been forgiven. I'm not just talking about releasing your grudges and softening your personality because Jesus doesn't hold a grudge against you. I'm talking about actively looking for opportunities to show favor and kindness. I'm talking about providing for others in their time of need. I'm talking about telling the good news of the gospel to those that need it. I'm talking about being Jesus to others rather than focusing on how filthy their rags are. I'm talking about letting your guard down because you need grace just as much as everyone else does. I'm talking about knowing that I'm not okay, you're not okay, but that's okay because God is more than okay. Extending grace is not an option of Christianity. It is Christianity. Grace is the essence of the gospel, and it is the result of the gospel. There shouldn't be a disconnect between the grace that we receive in the gospel of Jesus and the life that we experience together as believers. Listen, we can have the clearest understanding of the gospel and grace. We can have the purest most orthodox doctrinal statement preached from the pulpit and in our classrooms and plastered on our website. But if that message of grace isn't reflected in the culture of our church, we are nothing but a noisy gong. Now, I want to give you some good news this morning. This is happening. This is happening in our church. You saw a prime example of it today. Meredith and Lacey shared the healing that has taken place in the context of that grief share group. Lacey and I were talking about this earlier this week. We're all hurting, she said. It may look slightly different, but we're all hurting. We don't compare our hurts 
But when we find a place that we can safely uncover it, and then the salve of God's grace, the salve of God's grace applied to us through other believers, we can experience healing. Another example of this is our church's dedication of creating a culture of grace surrounding sexual sin and living with sexual integrity. We have done work in this area, church. Men's and, women's, men's and women's ministry have tackled this through the many groups, Conquer Series, Seven Pillars, Betrayal and Beyond. You saw the Chabots on the platform share their testimony about the healing that happened in their lives, both from sexual sin, but also in their marriage relationship. And that happened because they experienced the grace in context of a group of believers who were there to love and encourage them. You want proof? You want proof that your vulnerability, that your vulnerability, do you want proof that your vulnerability is actually a way that you extend grace and leads to more healing? The day the Chabot shared their testimony, the registration for those classes skyrocketed. And their vulnerability, they extended grace to other people. And people got a taste of what grace and healing could be in their own lives. Say, I want to be a part of that. Do you want to be a part of that? Listen, I'm not okay. You're not okay. But God is more than okay. And by His grace, I can be okay. And those two passages that I read, Philippians 2 and Romans 15, there are so many themes that stick out that, that, to me that when, it, when it comes to this idea of how we extend God's grace to people. In the very short and no more time that I have, I want to submit three of them to you. How do we put handles on all of this? We've received it. How do we extend it? Quickly now, in humility, value one another. In humility, value one another. That's in verse 3 and 4 of Philippians 2. In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Are we more concerned about the things we are concerned about Or can we shift the focus off of ourselves and look to fill the needs of others? Sam Albury calls this the here I am versus the there you you are mentality. What would it look like for you to show up to your sister or brother's house, your upward practice, your life group, to Sunday morning with a there you are mentality? How might you seek out others ready to extend grace? Number two, in honesty, be vulnerable with one another. In honesty, be vulnerable with one another. This, I think, is the hardest part, but I think is one of the greatest keys to unlocking a culture of grace. That's in verse 1 of Philippians 2. If any common sharing in the Spirit. The idea here is that the common life produced by the Spirit to form Christian community is fellowship produced by the Spirit. True growth in grace and community does not happen without honesty and vulnerability. And it is only with honesty and vulnerability do we experience fellowship. So my question is, are you willing to exist within a group of believers where you can be honest if you know that's where you can find grace and healing? That's really hard. Can you be honest about what isn't working in your life? The questions that you have about God? Can you be honest about the sin that so easily entangles you? Why would we do this? Because God says that when we do this, we grow in our communion of grace and we can find healing. The very things that we want healed, we keep hidden 
because we can't expose ourselves, but it's the very exposing of ourselves, being vulnerable, where we can find grace, and then we get healing from that thing. Listen to John, 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light, he says, and that walking in the light, the context here is honesty. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, two things. One, we have fellowship with one another, and two, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. James 5 also talks about this form of honesty. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So Scripture says confess, then pray so that you may be healed. I don't know about you. Yes, I do. This is counterintuitive, isn't it? This is counterintuitive. We want to protect our flesh, but that's the whole point of God's grace. We can't protect or heal ourselves. Only God can do that. And so he often does that then through grace being extended through other people. But it all starts with honesty. It starts with being willing to be vulnerable. Another quote from Sam Albury. He said, Church should be the place where we sprint to when things are at their worst, rather than the place we avoid until we have our Instagrammable Christianity back in place. I love that. The ups and downs of working out your salvation with fear and trembling is not what you will typically see posted on Instagram, but it is our reality. How many of you have yelled at your children on the way to church before? (laughs) And then we show up. We plaster our good Christian smiles on our faces. Now, I'll get to that in a second. I'll address that. But are you willing to share in that vulnerability with others? You know what? I wasn't okay this morning. I think lastly, a third way that we extend grace is in honor. In honor, we can encourage one another. We can encourage one another. Verse 5 of Romans 15 says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ. Just a few chapters before in Romans 12, he says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Honor someone. How do you honor someone? There's a call to honor in love. How do we do that? And, and honor someone by encouraging them in Christ. So where have you seen Christ in another person? Have you seen Christ in another person? Tell them that. Encourage them. How else can you do this? Honor someone by coming alongside of them in their pain and encouraging them with the gospel. Not dismissing their pain, but reminding them of the hope that they have in Jesus and that the gospel addresses their pain. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture is found in Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 25. I'm just going to read the 24 and 25 to you. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. In the prior verse, verses, the author of Hebrews paints the picture of the gospel like he continually does. Remember the gospel and then this is what it looks like. He paints a picture of the gospel and then moves to exhortation. Because you've been saved, draw near to God, hold on to hope, and then he tells us how. How do we do this? To be together in order to encourage one another. It's as if the opposite of not being together is not just being together. It's encouraging one another. It's assumed Being together means spurring one another on in love and good deeds and encouraging one another until Christ comes back. 
You can be together with someone and never say a word to them. But that's not what Christ did for us. He welcomed us. We're going to invite the worship team up as we land this plane. Do you remember, remember Jesus' prayer in John 17? This beautiful, this beautiful prayer of Jesus speaking to his Father, and he, he talks through several things. And his prayer was a lot, was, was surrounding around this idea of unity. And his prayer, he prayed for you. Just dwell on that for a second. He prayed for his followers. If you follow Jesus, he had you in mind as he was praying through this. And his prayer for us as his followers is that we would be unified. So it is not lost on me that the primary way that we as individuals experience God's grace is through our unity with Christ. That now in the same way, our extension of that grace to our brothers and sisters ends up producing the very unity that Jesus prayed for. Here's the rub. The grace we want and need to receive is the same grace that you must be willing to extend. As distinct people who value grace, we have to be willing to engage in a communal effort of grace. Again, vulnerability is a must here. It is a risk to expose yourself, whether it is sin or it's a, a good dream that you have, something that you feel like you're supposed to pursue, or, or it's a victory in life, or maybe it's a question that you have about your marriage. There's risk in that, vulnerability. But in those moments, can we all get on the same page of being people of grace in those moments with each other? Can you be a place where someone can safely be broken in front of you? Are you willing to be broken in front of others so that healing might take place? There's an obvious balance to all of this, of the when and where, how we receive and how we extend grace to others. Pastor Katie reminded me this week that grace is often best modeled in a smaller setting. It's not that we can't experience grace or see grace in larger contexts, but in smaller settings, we have an, ex- we have an opportunity to model grace really, really well. To meet with one another on a human level, pointing to our God who saves. I mentioned several groups today. Pastor Dan will talk more about groups next week, and you're going to have an opportunity to seek out and sign up for a group. We have dozens of pockets of community that, are, that, that make up our church. Places where grace abounds and healing is happening talked through several of them this morning. There are more. But what about Sunday morning? Right now, where we're at. Sunday morning should be a place that we run to when we're broken because there are grace people here. (laughs) There are people of grace here and the gospel is proclaimed over our darkness. You should feel the freedom to worship and to cry and not be perfect here. Because that's the point. Jesus' grace meets us in those shortcomings. However, I'm not saying that Sunday morning should be a place where we only wallow in our grief and our pain and only talk about our burdens. Let's not forget that we have victory in Christ. 
So while we need to grow in some of that here, I think collectively we can grow in that. Sunday morning should be a time of praise and celebration, and I think we do that really well, actually. The difference here, I think, comes is that when you've experienced grace in a group, when you have done the hard work there in smaller contexts, then you can show up on a Sunday morning with other people who also don't have their act together, and you can look across the room and say, I got you, bro. I got you. I know. So where might you extend grace and how? Again, I want to remind you, all of these things are done only under the power of the Spirit in our lives because it is Christ in us. Christ in us. Our belief in and our surrender to Him compels us to do these things. Because we have been forgiven, because we have been welcomed, we can then welcome. A friend of mine shared uh, an experience he had with me a few months ago. He had to have surgery on his knee uh, from an injury, and he ended up having to have an MRI prior to that surgery. And so he's in the doctor's office, he's in this clinic to get his MRI, and they ushered him into this temporary holding room before he went into the room with the equipment. And as he goes into this room, he sees that this room is already very full of people, okay? Now, this is also a room that because we're close to the equipment, the medical equipment, they don't allow you to take in your phones, okay? So he walks into this small to medium-sized room that is already very full of people because for some reason one of their machines was down and so the room was full. They were behind. And so he walks in and he sits down and it's just like dead silent. Awkward, right? So everyone's, it's a square and everyone's sitting against the wall looking in at each other. No phones to distract you. Everyone's like not trying to make eye contact. It's silent. Some of you are going, that is my worst nightmare, Okay. And it was quiet for a few minutes. Room full of people, and it's quiet. Until one person looked at the person next to him and asked him about the injury that he had. Those two started talking. And then pretty soon a third person who had a similar story to the person who started sharing jumped into that conversation. So now you got three people talking. Well, that then gave other people permission, essentially, to start being willing to talk. And so then little pockets of conversation start happening. And then eventually he said the whole group was like part of one conversation. It wasn't just pockets of separate conversation. They were all like hearing and listening to each other's stories and sharing because they had something in common. He said it got so, like the, the, the excitement of the conversation, the volume level got so much that it startled the nurse when she walked in to call the next person out. Because we don't experience stuff like that anymore. He said there was a genuine appreciation for the other people in the room. Because it was weird. What a beautiful picture of how we can experience God's grace within the context of church. We go, hey, I'm not okay. You don't look okay. But like, God's okay. So we can be okay together. We're going to sing this song. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. The thing we have in common is a Savior and a Redeemer. One who heals us from our infirmities and our iniquities and our sin. That is what we have in common, church. We are sinners saved by grace. Father God, we praise you today for the, for the gift of your word spoken to us. 
God, thank you for all that you're doing in the lives of our people here. The grace that you are extending, the healing that is happening because of our willingness to follow you into those places. God, I ask you for more of that. God, would you pour your spirit out on these, on these people that we would recognize our identity and, and the purpose you've given us to love you and to love others around us and that you've given us your very spirit to, to do that. God, you are worthy of our praise. We thank you for the gift of the gospel. Be with us now as we, as we remind ourselves of these truths, that it is Christ in us that we receive and we extend grace. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have any questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world 